It's the Mal and Mud Podcast, your place for all sports debates. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Mal and Mud Podcast. I'm Josh Mallet along here with Zach Malamud. Zach, how was your weekend? My weekend was great. I really loved having baseball back with the Korean Baseball Organization. Yeah, it was certainly great to finally see some live sports action going on, and I stayed up really late last night watching that game. But let's get right into it. We're starting off with some football talk as the Dallas Cowboys made news the other day and have officially signed Andy Dalton to a one-year, $7 million contract with $3 million of it guaranteed. Dallas, of course, is yet to reach an extension with Dak Prescott and have until July 15th to do so. Zach, do you think the Cowboys are disrespecting Dak after signing Andy Dalton? I really think they are disrespecting Dak Prescott. I I think they were actually disrespecting him before even signing Andy Dalton. The Cowboys have paid really everyone else besides Dak on their team. Amari Cooper got a $100 million contract. Zeke got the biggest running back contract before Christian McCaffrey overtook him earlier in the offseason. But Jalen Smith also got a big contract, and Demarcus Lawrence got the biggest defensive end contract, second behind Aaron Donald in all defensive linemen. So all of them were signed in the last 12 months. So now they have a new head coach in Mike McCarthy who has had a better coaching career than Jason Garrett. He has a Super Bowl over him. Dak, though is 40 and 24 in his career he's made the playoffs two of his four years in a division that we can all say is probably by far the worst in football but they also have had a super bowl champion in that division since Dak's career started when philly won back in 2017 but he has completed over 65 percent of his passes in three of those four years He has had a very strong touchdown-to-interception ratio with 97 touchdowns and 36 interceptions in his career. He is, though, the face of the franchise. There's no doubt about that. And they sign a backup who could really end up being there to replace him if he doesn't sign that franchise tag. But you could say that Dalton is from Dallas and he's just there to be a backup But Tony Romo would have been signed by now. And he was undrafted and got paid twice. One of them was with a losing record. So, yes, Romo was better than Dak at this point in their careers. But Dak has been doing a great job to replace Romo in Dallas. And to say all of this, including his leadership and his dependability, and to not give the guy a contract because he wants more money is ridiculous. I think, and he has been consistent and is getting better every year. We're talking about Dak Prescott, who was a fourth-round pick. It's not like a Deshaun Watson, a Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, or even a Carson Wentz. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take two quarterbacks who have gotten big contracts: Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. So, Josh, has Dak Prescott outperformed both of them, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, in his career so far? What do you think? It's tough to say. I mean, Jared Goff did lead his team to a Super Bowl. Um, Carson Wentz was having an MVP-type season a couple years ago until, of course, he got that terrible injury, and then since then it's all been downhill. 
Um, I'd say to this point he's had a better career than Carson Wentz, but Jared Goff has outperformed him slightly because of that Super Bowl appearance. Well, I disagree. I think that Prescott's more consistent than Goff. Goff had a terrible season last year for the Rams, and Dak was perfectly fine. He He's rising. His potential is really high, but Carson Wentz and Jared Goff both got those big contracts, and yes, Dak is a lot healthier than those two quarterbacks, but Goff and Wentz still got those monster contracts. So I think it's insane right now for the Cowboys not to give Dak Prescott the money he wants just because they they don't feel like giving it to him. Yeah, I, I certainly see your points, and I'm going to go back to a point that you made earlier um, about how everybody in the Cowboys got paid. And I don't think that the problem with Jerry Jones is that he doesn't want to pay him because he wants to pay pay Dak. It's just the asking price that Dak ha- that Dak has right now is absolutely sky high. He's asking for maybe in the high thirties in millions of dollars, or maybe even the low forties, and that is MVP best at your position in the league type of money. And I don't think that Dak really has the right to ask for that right now. I mean, he's had a very solid start to his career. He's made it to a couple of Pro Bowls, a couple of playoff appearances, but he's not nearly as accomplished as the other, as some other QBs are early in their career, like like a Mahomes, for example, or a Lamar Jackson. They have the right to be asking for top dollar, but Dak, I don't think he's nearly at that level yet, and Jerry Jones has been working with him hard to, to sign a contract extension, He's had, and Dak has had every opportunity to potentially sign an extension, and Jerry Jones still envisions him ultimately as being their long-term QB, but I think that with this signing of of Andy Dalton. I think that it's just Jerry Jones preparing for the worst. I don't think that in any way he's disrespecting Dak, but he's just preparing for maybe they don't get a deal done there. They're not able to work out an extension, so Dak maybe decides to potentially hold out. So then they have an experienced veteran to hold the fort down until Dak does potentially come back. So I don't think that he's disrespecting him. I just think that it's kind of Jerry Jones preparing for the worst, seeing that a Texas native and Andy Dalton and a good veteran who actually has had a pretty good career to this point, actually uh, a a very successful tenure compared to what people give him credit for. In his first five seasons, he led the Bengals to five consecutive playoff appearances from 2011 to 2015. The problem was they lost in the wildcard round in every one of those appearances. But Andy Dalton, a pretty accomplished QB in the NFL, uh, Jerry Jones saw a guy on the market for not that much money, so why not? When there's a period of uncertainty with your QB, why not go out there and get a guy that can bring some certainty, bring some stability, and worst comes to worst, if Dak Prescott is not your starting QB because he's holding out, because a contract extension isn't done, uh, you, you still have another guy that can step in there and Andy Dalton, and he's a, just another good insurance policy, uh, an insurance plan for this Cowboys team to have. I, I see what you're saying, but like we're looking at Dak's career so far and has he really done anything to hurt the Cowboys franchise just individually he hasn't missed a single game and was all over newspapers when he missed his only practice in his NFL career so this guy it's a four-year starter who's been great for the franchise and has been in a contract dispute now for over a year and a half and they sign a nine-year starter with a career record of .350 who hasn't produced much in his career. And he really, really hasn't been a, uh, a top-level quarterback. Yeah, he made it to the playoffs in his first four seasons, but he had a really good team around him and a better coach in Marvin Lewis. So Dak has really done nothing wrong. And 
they're they're trying to sign Dak and they don't want to give him the money he wants. But this is a playoff team now that after a great draft, uh, now they can make a run that they have a better defense from the draft. So just pay him. That's the only thing left to do. I'm not saying that Dak should be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. That should be Patrick Mahomes when the time comes. But Dak, it, I think Dak is top 10 in the NFL right now. I would say Dak is probably top five in the NFC just because of the potential that he has. And we haven't seen the great uh, part of Dak, but he's just starting the prime of his of his career so why not pay him right now even though you he wants a lot of money he will produce for you in the future he has the potential to do so yeah and Dak right now heading into as you said the prom of his career and uh, right now you said you the key word that you just said was potential and Dak right now if I if I had to talk about your you know my top QBs in the NFL right now right this second I'd say he's probably a borderline top 10 QB but Given the still the skill set that Dak has and all the potential that he's shown and his current age, I'd say he's got the potential to develop into a, a top five QB in the NFL. So obviously the potential is there, but I don't think he's proved enough to Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys to warrant asking for you know north of forty million annually and taking up that much of the cap. And Jer- I don't blame Jerry Jones for you know second guessing himself when you know thinking about should I be paying this guy you know a big portion. Of the the salary, the, the money that this team has to spend, uh, Dak Prescott certainly has certainly has the potential, all the tools to succeed and become a top QB in the NFL. But I don't think he's worth that much money as much as he thinks he's as much as he thinks he's worth. But now, uh, now going back to the original question, I, do I or do I think Jer- Jerry Jones should extend Dak Prescott? Hell yeah, he should do everything he can to extend this guy because he's a huge part of the offense. After adding Ceedee Lamb to the offense. Uh, extending Amari Cooper, extending Ezekiel Elliott. You know, they have a top offensive line in the NFL, a, a very formidable defense. This team isn't that far off and isn't that far away, in my opinion, from being a true contender and not only the NFC, but in, in all the NFL to contend for a Super Bowl. So it's instrumental for this team if they want to accomplish what they're, what to, they're getting to their first Super Bowl and winning their first Super Bowl since 1995. They need to extend Dak Prescott, but it, but in terms of is this disrespecting him with the signing of Andy Dalton? There's no way Jerry Jones wants Andy Dalton to start because that means a lot of things will have gone terribly wrong if Andy Dalton is starting on opening day come 2020, whenever that may be. But is this disrespecting Dak Prescott and the signing of Andy Dalton? In my opinion, no. Yeah, I I just feel really bad for Dak. We're talking about a guy who's been paid under five million dollars throughout his four-year career. And he is the franchise quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. And just a really big worldwide known team. And he's been paid under $5 million. So I think he, he should be paid what he wants. He should he should not be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. But the guy definitely has experience. He has started 48 games with three of them being playoff games. So... Just get, like I said before, just getting into his prime, even though he hasn't shown you enough yet, he definitely has the potential to be very successful in the Cowboys franchise. Yeah, obviously, being a low draft pick and not making uh, that big of a salary on his rookie contract, you can understand why he really wants to get paid this time around. So it certainly should be interesting to see how Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys 
handle the whole Dak Prescott situation and what happens at quarterback for the Cowboys. Now moving on to our next topic, we're going to talk a little bit about The Last Dance. Now, this past Sunday, uh, episodes 5 and 6 aired. Zach, what were your biggest takeaways, or what was your biggest takeaway from these episodes? I'm going with the Dream Team and everything around it. It is crazy to think that the greatest basketball game ever played was in practice. It was a scrimmage. And you had Magic Johnson yelling at Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan because he wanted some revenge from the Bulls beating them in the finals two seasons before that. And then you had Charles Barkley yelling at his good friend and he was chirping at Carl Malone. And then David Robinson and Patrick Ewing battling down low to prove who was the best center on the team. And after all of that happened, they went on the bus and it was silent to, uh, at the start of it. And then they all just started laughing and they, they knew that they were all so competitive and they were just having fun with each other. And it showed that the team chemistry was very high with that team. Bunch of great players all around and this practice really showed a lot about this team. Yeah, it was really cool to see all the all the friendly trash talk and all the friendly competition that there was, and the really the appreciation that they all had for one another because they knew that they were playing with the greatest basketball players not only in the United States but in the world, and all the best basketball players were coming together in one arena, and they they all just had an appreciation for each of their games and the fact that they played what they said as as you just said before what they thought was the best and most well played basketball game. Even better than just the All-Star game, because the All-Star game even had, you know, kind of more people. This was the All-Star team of all All-Star teams of all time in NBA history. And it was really cool to see all, all the guys come together, uh, laugh, have some funny trash talks. And, and, you know, focusing on the point of Michael Jordan, this was kind of where Jordan really showed himself to be the superstar of all the superstars. And really, he, he stood out amongst all the best basketball players in the entire world. Yeah, it definitely did. And Jordan, it was really the start um, the, he had a, a lot of good years before that, and he won two championships before this season. And at that point, everybody knew this is the greatest basketball player of all time. We knew Larry Bird said it in the in the Eastern Conference uh, one year, and he he after Jordan dropped sixty in a game versus him, he he said this is the greatest basketball player of all time, Magic knew it already, and then had to lose to him on his home court uh, in the NBA Finals. But this definitely was the breaking point of Michael Jordan being part of such a great team all around, and all of these players together, they they really just battling each other like crazy. They, they were all so competitive, and it really was a really big takeaway uh, from one of the greatest team, if not the greatest team we've ever seen. Yeah, and it, it just shows you how competitive they all were, and they pretty much knew, like based on how good they were, like that it was a pretty good chance that they were going to win, you know, the whole tournament. But it was a, pr- a pretty big deal to them to win in practice because they knew that they were better than the rest of the competition and the rest of the other countries. But if they could win in practice, that sh- that showed that they were really the best amongst all of them in the United States amongst the best player, the best players in basketball history. But another big point of uh, the U.S. Dream Team was that uh, Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan always wanted to prove um, Jerry Krause wrong. 
And they did just that when they absolutely dominated and shredded Tony Kukoc, who would be their future teammate and a future big part of their second three-peat. And this is a guy that Jerry Krause was really high on. And Jordan and Pippen always found extra motivation. Whenever Jerry Krause is up to something, they always found that extra motivation to prove him wrong. Yeah, it just shows how competitive those two guys were. Just to prove their general manager wrong, they absolutely slaughtered Tony Kukoc and Croatia in a group stage game. Then they went... And in the gold medal game, Kukoc had a much better game in the gold medal game, but they still destroyed Croatia. And it just showed that Jordan and Pippen, the competitive side of them, was all about showing how Jerry Krause was wrong. And even though T- Tony Kukoc was very talented at that time, they they really just their main goal was to say we're better than this guy so i don't know why you're getting him uh and just to prove jerry Krause wrong they really did that in both of the times that they played against croatia yeah and it's really unfortunate that uh jerry Krause uh passed away a couple years ago because it, were, it really would be extremely interesting to see what his point of view is on all this and how he defends his actions and, you know, going out trying to get Tony Kukoc and how he would, you know, kind of defend himself and respond to what Jordan and Pippen have to say. Because from what we see in this documentary, Pippen and Jordan portray him as this terrible guy and this guy that just did all the wrong things. And, you know, he was just a terrible person. But I'd really love to see how he would defend himself if he were if he were to do one of these interviews in this, in this documentary. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you said. After watching just the first six episodes... It looks like Jerry Krause is the enemy in this documentary. And a lot of people like really disagree with that. And this guy is one of the greatest general managers of all time. He created six championships, building a, an unbelievable dynasty and one of the greatest teams ever. And it really just portrays a bad effect on Jerry Krause and puts a bad look on him and it might not be all true uh, in this documentary. Yeah, and uh, granted, he he did come there, and Jordan was already there, but he still did a great job in building the whole entire supporting cast around Michael Jordan. He drafted Scottie Pippen. He drafted Horace Grant. He traded for Bill Cartwright. He Later on, he got, he got Dennis Rodman, brought him over. Steve Kerr, so many key players. And Michael Jordan... You know, he, he's saying that it's just the players that won the championship. And obviously, Michael Jordan was probably the biggest reason why those Bulls were winning all those championships. But still, you got to give some credit to Jerry Krause. And no credit's really being given to Jerry Krause because there's nobody in this documentary that's really supporting him and what he did. But really, some credit does deserve to go out to him because he is the one that built the supporting cast around Jordan to eventually enable him to go on that incredible run of winning six championships in eight years. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And Jerry Krause actually... One of the earlier episodes said like that management was the biggest part of the Bulls winning all of those championships, and Michael Jordan definitely disagreed with that. He said it was all the players that had the biggest impact on them being a huge dynasty, and he actually kind of took offense to that, and that's why that's a big reason why we've seen Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen going against Jerry Krause in a lot of those cases. Yeah, and another controversial part of the Dream Team was leaving off Isaiah Thomas of the Detroit Pistons. Now, obviously, Isaiah Thomas had so, so much success, was, was, a, is a sure, was a surefire Hall of Famer when he got inducted, 
and uh, obviously it was one of the great players of the 80s and early 90s and of that generation, and he really took big offense to being left off of that dream team. What do you kind of make of him not being on the team? Obviously, he was a pretty, he was a pretty hated player by many, but what do you kind of make of the fact that he was not on that dream team? Well, a lot of people like to say that Michael Jordan was the biggest reason why Isaiah Thomas was not on the Dream Team. I disagree with that. I think Michael Jordan definitely had a stance in, in that case and was a big reason why Isaiah Thomas was not on the Dream Team. But Michael Jordan probably didn't have the biggest influence because we heard in the documentary, after watching everything, I think that it was Magic Johnson and Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen actually hated Isaiah Thomas more than Michael Jordan did, uh, as we've seen so far in the documentary. And Magic Johnson, we actually heard that Rod Thorpe uh, knew the only way he was getting Michael Jordan on that team was if Isaiah Thomas was not there. But Jordan probably did not contact Rod Thorpe about that. I We heard that Magic Johnson was actually the one that had to tell uh, Larry Bird and Michael Jordan that they, were, that they both should join the Dream Team. So I think that it was actually Magic Johnson and Scottie Pippen who were the big reasons uh, for Isaiah not being on the team. But I think Rod Thorpe definitely knew the only way he was getting Michael Jordan was if Isaiah Thomas was not on the Dream Team. Now, ultimately, we're never going to really know the entire yeah. truth for who was responsible for leaving Isaiah Thomas off the Dream Team. It's very possible Jordan was lying when he was denying the, the fact that he had nothing to do with it. But he did make some pretty good points in that all the blame was put on him for the fact that Isaiah Thomas was not on the Dream Team. But he said, I'm not the only one that, that, has, that holds a grudge against Isaiah Thomas. Several other people that were going to be a part of the Dream Team did not like Isaiah Thomas. And Larry Bird and Magic Johnson were not fond at all of Isaiah Thomas. Obviously, his teammate Scottie Pippen, as you said, held more of a personal grudge against Isaiah Thomas than Jordan did because Jordan, even though he didn't really like him, he still respected him and his game. And uh, so it's really hard to say who exactly was responsible for Isaiah Thomas being left off the roster. But, uh, and, and that's something that we're probably never going to find out, but there are certainly many people that could have been responsible because Michael Jordan wasn't the only person who didn't really like Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, I actually loved hearing Magic Johnson on first take today, uh, yesterday. He actually said that a big reason for Isaiah not being on the team is these players were spending a full two months together. They, so they did not want to have any problems. The team chemistry would have gone completely down if Isaiah Thomas would have started a problem. And Isaiah was known for doing that. He was known for starting fights with other players. And they knew they wouldn't be a team if Isaiah was there because there probably would have been a problem in the end. Yeah, that's certainly a great point. If you're spending an entire summer with a team... And, you know, going on the bus together, spending nights in the hotel, practice every day, several games, you know, every week. And you're, you're pretty much forming a family with these guys. And Isaiah Thomas was kind of a, uh, kind of a guy who was known as being a troublemaker, a guy that would start conflicts and problems amongst the team. Is that really something that, that, that people wanted to be a part of? I don't think so. And that probably was a huge reason why Isaiah Thomas was not on the team. But we're going to move on to my key takeaway from The Last Dance, and that was in kind of the, the 80s and 90s, there was always that team that was on the top, and then kind of 
that that team that was kind of the underdog and that was always coming for that team and getting closer and closer and and that, that was just completely obsessed with coming out on top and eventually claiming the throne and taking down that team. It started out as the Celtics dominating the East in the 80s. The Pistons were obsessed with beating the Celtics. Eventually, they finally take them down. And then the Pistons are on top, and the Bulls and Jordan and Pippen are absolutely obsessed with taking down the Pistons. And eventually, they finally take them down and are on top. And then the 90s, the Knicks were kind of the Bulls now. And they were, you know, the underdog that was trying to come for the Bulls and take the throne. But unfortunately for them, they were never able to claim the throne, and they were never able to take down Jordan and the Bulls. The Bulls eliminated the Knicks with Jordan in 89, 91, 92, and 93. Now, the Knicks did beat the Bulls in 94 in the Eastern Conference semis en route to go into the finals, and they beat them in seven games. However, that was without Jordan, as Jordan, that was Jordan's during Jordan's first retirement. And then Jordan came back, and in his first full season in 1996, he then eliminated the Knicks again. So the Knicks, there was kind of, from the 80s and 90s, there was kind of this passing on to the, cho- the torch of the next team up. You know, the, the next team that would then take down that dynasty. And the Knicks were kind of in the 90s, that team that was always right there, but were never able to get over that hump of Michael Jordan, and were never able to get on top. Yeah, like you said, the, the passing of the torch onto different teams, kind of like a domino effect in the NBA back then. And the Celtics and the Showtime Lakers with Magic and Worthy, uh, they passed it on to the bad boys in Detroit, the Detroit Pistons. And then we all saw the bad boys lose to the Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan finally took them down, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And the Bulls then had the Knicks behind them for a little while. They ended up really giving it to Houston, though. Houston and Olajuwon, uh, they, they won two in a row in 94 and 95, the two years that was Michael Jordan's retirement, uh, his first retirement. But the Knicks, like you said, they were right there. They, they were really one of the teams that just could not get over the hump. And then the Bulls took it back. They went for their second three-peat with actually the Pacers and the Knicks, both of them being their biggest challenger in the East. The Pacers actually made it to the Eastern Conference Finals in Jordan's final year, the the last dance year, uh, where the Bulls won their second three-peat. And then it all ended up handing it off to that Spurs team with Robinson and Duncan, and then eventually to Kobe's Lakers with Shaq, uh, where they won their three-peat. But as you said, there was kind of a domino effect uh, of a bunch of teams, and sadly, our Knicks were just one of those teams that just cannot get over the hump there. Yeah, and that just shows you how amazing Jordan was because Jordan truly ruined so many careers of many basketball players and the narrative of many players' careers in the in the, in the the 90s especially would be changed if Jordan wasn't there and maybe they win a championship. But that, that brings up a question that I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. Whose career do you think Jordan ruined the most or whose legacy do you think Jordan ruined the most because he either eliminated eliminated him in the playoffs a bunch of times or prevented him from winning a championship? I think it's definitely Patrick Ewing because Patrick Ewing, like you said, they the Knicks lost so many times to that Bulls team and Patrick Ewing is one of the greatest centers ever, but he's he's farther behind because he doesn't have that championship and 
it was just a bad era to come into. You had to face Michael Jordan in the Eastern Conference Finals almost every year uh, if you got there. And the Knicks just maybe some years they couldn't get there. Even the years that Jordan uh, didn't uh, wasn't there. He was in retirement, like their first year. The Knicks actually went to the finals, but they still couldn't get over the hump because Hakeem was on the other side with the Houston Rockets. But Patrick Ewing, he really never had that second guy right next to him. So Michael Jordan, just every time, he was a heartbreaker. He was an assassin against the Knicks. So I think Patrick Ewing's career definitely was uh, messed up the most by Michael Jordan. Yeah, even even without Jordan, the Knicks still did, in those 90s, have a couple cracks at the NBA Finals. They lost to Akeem Olajuwon in heartbreaking fashion. Uh, to the Houston Rockets in 1994, and then they lost to uh, the, the beginning of Duncan and and the very end of David Robinson in 1999 with a very good Spurs team in five games in the 1999 NBA Finals. But if you take away those two years and and you take away Jordan and from 91 to 93 and 96 to 98, those are so many opportunities that the Knicks could have potentially went to the NBA Finals. Yeah, I I agree with you. Another name to bring up is Reggie Miller because Reggie Miller uh, didn't have that championship, and if he got that championship, we're we're talking about one of the greatest shooters of all time, and he's known for that, and if he got a championship, his legacy would be sky high, and the Pacers really loved him there, and if he got them a championship, he would be an absolute icon even more than he already is as one of the greatest shooters of all time. Yeah, yeah, and Reggie Miller is certainly a big name, a lifelong pacer, was there for almost 20 years, and if, if he could have brought uh, that, that's, I mean, the city obviously obviously still loves him, but if he could have brought that city of Indiana championship, that he would have went down as one of the, the one of the all-time greats, and not just for the Indiana Pacers, well, which he already is, but one of the all-time greats in NBA history, because he's another guy that's kind of in the shadow of Michael Jordan, because those teams just couldn't get over the hump. They lost in the conference finals to the Knicks in 94. They lost to Shaq in the Orlando Magic in the conference finals in 95. They lost to Jordan in the last dance in seven games in 98. And then they lost in the conference finals to the Knicks uh, the year after in 99 during that magical run that the Knicks had. And then in 2000, they finally made it to the finals, but then they lose to Shaq and Kobe and the Lakers. So those Pacers teams really ran into a lot of tough competition and just could never get over the hump. But I'm going to go with a guy that a lot of people don't talk about. And if he potentially wins a championship, he's talked about as, without a doubt, the greatest power forward in NBA history and potentially a top five NBA player in NBA history. And that is Carl Malone. The Utah Jazz had some really good teams in the late 80s and all, really all throughout the 90s and even into the early 2000s. And they made a lot of, you know, big playoff runs. But really, the peak of that was making it to back-to-back NBA Finals in both 97 and 98. And who was standing in their way in both of those years? The Chicago Bulls. And both 97 and 98 were just absolute gut-wrenching series going back and forth. They both only went six games. I'm surprised that none of them went seven games. But they both felt like, you know, from watching the highlights and from what we're going to eventually see in the Jordan documentary, I'm sure, in the in the later episodes, maybe nine and ten when they show the highlights of both of those finals, um, and just how back and forth and how incredibly tense those series were. And the, the Jazz had their opportunities to potentially win both of those series in 97 and 98, but Jordan was standing in their way. And all throughout Jordan's championship runs, he didn't necessarily always 
you know, blow away opponents. Not all the games were blowouts. Not all the series were sweeps. And it's almost like he'd give your team hope, only to just take it away just when you thought you had a chance. And not all the series were sweeps. Not all the games were blowouts. But he just found a way to get it done, whether it was a close game, whether it was a blowout. You know, and no matter in what kind of fashion, Jordan just found a way to always win. And that that's what makes him... Uh, probably the greatest of all time. I'm not willing to take a stance on that now because you got the whole Jordan-LeBron debate, but that's what makes Jordan so great and widely regarded as the greatest basketball player of all time. Yeah, you make up a, a great point about Karl Malone and that duo that he had with John Stockton. Really one of the best pick-and-roll duos of all time, arguably. And Karl Malone just could never get over the hump. And he spent so many years in Utah... And then he eventually went on to be a part of that big Lakers team with Shaq and Kobe. And then they had Gary Payton and Carl Malone. But Carl Malone and John Stockton was an unbelievable duo that just could not get over the hump again because Michael Jordan was standing in their way. And that just shows how powerful Michael Jordan was and just the big game came. You knew that Michael Jordan was going to win. That you knew it, no doubt. And Carl uh, Malone is another big name that definitely stands behind Michael Jordan. Yeah, Michael Jordan was just so disrespectful in the, in the amount of careers that he ruined throughout the 90s and all the players whose lives potentially could have changed with that elusive championship to their Hall of Fame resume. Now, it certainly will be interesting to see what episodes 7 and 8 have in store for us this Sunday on ESPN. Okay, so we're going to move on to our final topic. And Jason Giambi the other day, uh, who is a, a very good, prolific power hitter throughout his MLB career, and, and he came out the other day and said that the Astros cheating scandal and doing PEDs are the exact same thing. So that brings up an interesting debate. And Zach, what do you think is worse? Uh, the Astros cheating scandal and stealing signs or doing steroids? I think it's clearly the Astros cheating scandal. And it's because... A pitcher still has a huge chance to strike out a batter, even if they are taking steroids. So, but if the batter knows exactly what pitch is coming, it is way easier to make contact with the ball. And also, PEDs are really only used by a couple of players on the team. Not the entire team is usually caught with taking steroids, but... The Astros had every single player on their team involved with the scandal, and they impacted so many people, uh, whether it was the Yankees or any team that they knocked out in uh, one of those years. And that really has a much bigger impact than PEDs would have on a game. Yeah, and several pitchers, former and present, have come out and said, I'd much rather face a hitter who's juiced and absolutely jacked, as opposed to a hitter that knows exactly what pitch is coming in and what location it's coming in. Because if they, if they know what pitch is coming every single time, that gives them a huge advantage to then smack the ball. Whereas if you're jacked, maybe it helps a little bit out with your hand-eye coordination. Maybe it helps you with your power. But you still don't know what pitch is coming, and there's still no guarantee that you're going to actually make contact. So that, this brings up just a huge uh, controversy over which one's worse, worse. And I completely agree with you. I, I think it's clear that uh, the cheating scandal, which is a team-wide thing, as opposed to PEDs, which, as you mentioned before, individual players here and there will be using PEDs, I believe that the cheating scandal is as 
way worse. And the fact that the Astros basically get away with it, still with their championship intact and absolutely unscathed with none of the players getting punished, where PED, PED people are still getting punished to this day, and they're not getting Hall of Fame votes, votes like Barry Bonds, uh, Roger Clemens, and you know Alex Rodriguez, he's going to come up in a couple of years, Gary Sheffield, and David Ortiz in, in a year or two as well. So that brings up a, a, a huge controversy over the fact that PED people are still getting punished. Meanwhile, the Astros cheating scandal basically got away they basically got away with it unscathed yeah i'm actually really interested to see once these guys are at the point that they could be in the hall of fame will this have a big effect on that we've seen a lot of players taking steroids barry bonds roger clemens and maybe even alex rodriguez in the future all of these players, their Hall of Fame career uh, basically ruined because of this and taking PEDs. So will the Astros, even though their championship is still intact, will it have a huge effect in the future when it comes the time that they could make it into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, and you bring up a brilliant point because in 2023, we're going to first see what the effects of this is when Carlos Beltran is yeah. eligible to get into the Hall of Fame. Yes. Now, this is really going to be the first test to see what the Hall of Fame voters and all the the high personnel of baseball, what they think of this whole issue and what's really worse, doing PEDs or the cheating scandal, because if Carlos Beltran gets in no problem and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, like his numbers could possibly suggest throughout his entire career, then that's really saying something, and that's really saying that they don't think that you know cheating and stealing signs is as worse as cheating by taking steroids. Yeah, it definitely should be interesting. Carlos Beltran, you make up a great point there. Will he be in the Hall of Fame? Will he not because of that Astros cheating scandal? But I think the Astros cheating scandal is a lot worse than taking PEDs. Yeah, and another thing, a part of this issue, like, because now that the Astros cheating scandal has passed by, now so many people are comparing other types of scandals and other forms of cheating compared to the Astros cheating scandal to see where it kind of ranks and what's worse. And another thing that has caused a lot of controversy is Pete Rose obviously being banned from baseball, and he isn't even eligible to, like, people can't even give their opinion if they really do think that Pete Rose is a Hall of Famer because Pete Rose is banned altogether from receiving any Hall of Fame votes, and he's not allowed to be involved in the game of baseball at all. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here again. What do you think's worse, Pete Rose betting on baseball or the Astros cheating scandal? I, I actually think... That I'm gonna go with the Astros cheating scandal because I uh, just it was more recent. Uh, like I really didn't see the Pete Rose thing. I'm sure it was absolutely terrible at the time, but right now I'm saying the Astros cheating scandal because it affected so many teams. Pete Rose's thing it probably affected so many teams, but it was based on a, his own team. So I think that the Astros cheating scandal could definitely, it, it affected a bunch of other teams, maybe even every team in the MLB. So I think that one has a bigger effect, the Astros cheating scandal, than Pete Rose. Yeah, obviously Pete Rose broke a huge rule because it clearly states in the MLB rulebook that nobody involved in any team is allowed to bet on any games. But the thing about Pete Rose is he wasn't rigging any games, he wasn't throwing any games, he was betting on his own team to win. Because that's just how competitive he was. He was betting on his own team to win because that's how much of a drive he had to help his team win. So although he was breaking a, a rule and he's not supposed to be betting on baseball, I really don't think that it really warranted him getting banned for baseball from life. And now when you put this 
in light of what the Astros just got caught doing and cheating the whole entire sport and the whole entire game of baseball, I completely agree with you. I think the Astros cheating scandal is way worse. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And like you said, Pete Rose bet on his own team and he was so competitive. And, and now we're seeing him. He was bad from baseball, but the Astros now still with that championship intact. It's crazy to think that Pete Rose can do something like that and he was banned and the Astros could do this, which we both agree is worse and nothing happens. And just their, their managers uh, were fired uh, and all the t- people that worked with them um, to, to make this happen. But none of the, the players are impacted by this. Maybe, like I said before, it could have an impact when they get to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's truly amazing because... Now, with with what's happened with this, this Astros cheating scandal, now any time that somebody's ever questioned for cheating, whether it's for PDs, whether it's for betting, whether there's some other issue that we're yet to know of yet, it's always going to be compared, and it's always going to come back to how does it compare to this Astros cheating scandal, and that's something that the MLB is never going to be able to get rid of, and something that they're going to have that, that this is going to be an issue that they're going to have to try to figure out, and how to penalize teams that do this in the future, because if P Rose is banned for life, if PED users uh, are are suspended for several seasons and are getting penalized with with people's Hall of Fame vote. That something's got to happen with these people that cheat and steal signs. But unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for this one. Thank you so much for listening to episode thirteen of the Mal and Mud Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Mal Mud Podcast. We'll be back on Friday with episode fourteen to talk about more of the latest sports news. Talk to you all then.